in a day you can feel a lot of different things and I can feel really fine and then not really fine depending on the minute. Welcome. You're listening to Let It Out. I'm your host, Katie Delbout. I just listened to this week's episode as I was walking the bridge from Manhattan to Dumbo. And by the time I got to Dumbo, I felt better. And that was a result of listening to this conversation. And I hope that you listening now have that experience too. And if you're already feeling good, I hope it brings you up even higher. Good for you. I have a few things in my back pocket at all times, a few pieces of art, a few podcasts that I always return to that make me feel better. And these rotate, they change based on the seasons. And maybe I'll tell you at the end some of my current things that I'm listening to that make me feel better in the likes and learns section of this podcast. If you're new to this podcast, likes and learns is a post-show that I do where I say something I liked this week and something I learned this week. Anyway, today's conversation with two talented artists, director Kristen Hange and actress and writer Maddie Corman. I've been doing this podcast in 2013 and I often get asked how I choose the guests, how I decide who comes on this podcast. The show has morphed and changed a bunch over these past seven years years. It's so weird. I've been doing this for so long. But the one thing that really hasn't changed in over 300 episodes is that I find the guests the same way. It's really just whose work has been meaningful to me in some way, and I'm curious to know more about them. And I'm really grateful to you listening because it allows me to get to have conversations like the one I had today with someone whose work was deeply meaningful to me. Today's guests, Kristen and Maddie, are these two people who inspired me creatively, and I just like being around them. And I think that you'll really get that vibe from this conversation. We talk about the current project that they collaborated on. It's this beautiful show called Accidentally Brave. And that's what we talk about for the majority of this conversation. It's about an extremely hard thing that Maddie went through and is going through that's so emotional and how her and Kristen worked together to create Accidentally Brave while Maddie was really still in it. And they made this piece of art that's so genuine and vulnerable and warm and captures the emotion of pain and also joy with so much humor. And it's really just a beautiful work of art. I saw it the first week that it opened, I think, in March. And my my best friend had sent me this New York Times piece about it. And I went and I brought my mom while she was visiting and we laughed very hard and we cried. I had more of a sob. My mom maybe just like shed a tear, but I audibly 
solved. I hope it wasn't disruptive. Maddie didn't seem to remember, so that's good. Anyway, the show's running till the end of June, and you should go see it if you're in New York. If you're not in New York, you should see it when you come visit. Maybe plan a trip around seeing it. It's genuinely that good. Before we get to the episode, I have a piece of good news and a piece of bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. Unfortunately, since we focus on their current project, Accidentally Brave, we don't get into their backgrounds and upbringings and their full careers like we usually do in this podcast. And they both have these really robust full careers. Maddie has been acting since the 80s. She was in John Hughes teen movies, and she's also appeared in so many TV shows and films. She's been in some kind of wonderful and made in Manhattan and the TV show Younger and High Maintenance and Girls. And she's so many credits. I was just on her IMDb page and it is robust. And our other guest, the director, Kristen, is equally as impressive as a director. Most notably, perhaps, she was nominated for a Tony for directing the rock musical Rock of Ages. And we touch on this briefly, but she also directed Clueless the Musical, which I loved and talked about last week. And she's directed many movies and has so many projects. And she's a podcast herself, which we talk about in this episode, and you should definitely listen to. Anyway, she's very impressive, and I really connected with her. I just liked her a whole lot. And you'll hear us bonding. And also Maddie, who I love and has the most comforting voice. I really, really enjoy her voice. I could I could speak to her forever. And it's great that she has a one woman show. She should have a podcast herself just to so I could listen to her. Anyway, the good news is that both of them said that they would come back. So hopefully, you know, that's true. And uh you guys will get to hear me talk with them again. And hopefully I'll get to hear that again because like I said. I myself really enjoyed this conversation. So before we get into it, you'll hear us talking about making work, what it's like to be in it and still creating something. We talk about this line in the show that I love so much where Maddie says, go where it's warm. We talk about the creative process. We talk about, oh, Kristen gives the best relationship advice I've ever gotten on this show that's at the end. It is so good. We talk obviously about making art about hard things. It's just a really great conversation. And before we get to it, I have to prepare you guys on just a couple things to note. We talk about body image like we always do in this episode. And I bleeped out some numbers just in case that's triggering to anyone in our eating disorder recovery world that you know we live in in this little community. Also, Maddie does about 10 shows a week, so many shows a week, and therefore she had to get ready for that night's show. So Maddie leaves a bit early. And you might notice that my cadence at the end is a little bit weird because I'm jumping to the quick fire questions because I'm a bit anxious that I want to make sure that I get to ask Maddie some of them. And it all worked out. It was wonderful. And I even got to talk to Kristen a little bit longer I got to talk to her about directing Clueless the Musical, which I saw with last week's podcast guest, Simi. And it was so cool to talk to her about that project and the lesson in Clueless, which is what she talks about, which you'll hear her 
describe, but she talks about how it's a girl who's trying to take care of everyone else when she really needs to take care of herself, which I can relate to a lot. And specifically this line that my mom would always say to me, which was concern yourself with you. And I think that's a great share sentiment. And I even wrote a tool in my book about journaling, which is called the concern yourself with you tool. And if you don't have my book, that's cool. I'll email you that tool if you want to try it. So just sign up for the let it out letter so you can be on the the list for that. I'll I'll put the link in the in the show notes. But also, speaking of the show notes, did you know that we send out an email with all of the information we talked about in the episode right to your inbox every week so that way while you're walking, perhaps a bridge or driving, you don't have to, you know, pull over. You don't even have to bother on clicking the notes on your phone, which you can do, by the way, you could just click the album art and we've got the links all there, but you don't even have to bother doing that. It'll come right to your inbox. If you'd like, you know, it's just a nice supplement to each episode. It's kind of like a little album jacket to the audio episode, you know, with some visuals, some links, do you remember the album jackets that would come with CDs? I used to carry around the Spice Girls one and also the two CD set of the Rent cast recording album. And I would basically use it as my analog karaoke with myself. If you would like those show notes, feel free. If you don't want another thing in your inbox, totally get it. This has already been a very long intro abnormally long in fact but I just wanted to say thank you guys so much I could get emotional right now I just feel like we have a really good thing going here on the podcast I feel really close to you guys I've been especially emotional and vulnerable in the last six months on this podcast and this weekend I actually recorded this episode so it's fresh and I'm putting it out right by when I recorded it which isn't always the case. And I like that. And anyway, this weekend, this coming weekend, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, I'm doing a let it out lounge with little space, the app that I love so much that tracks your time for being off your phone at the Emerge Music Festival. I'm going to be doing live interviews where I get to interview Andrew Bird and Yolklore and so many cool artists. I'm really excited and I'm grateful to you because I wouldn't be doing it at all or talking to any of these people that I admire so much if it wasn't for you listening. Thank you so much. At the end of this episode, in this conversation, I reveal something I'm starting and working on launching in the, I was going to say new year, but actually this summer in the, in the new season, in the season we're in right now. I've been working on something for over a year and it will be coming out this summer. I have a new obsession, you guys. It's my Vertruvi diffuser. It's this beautifully crafted 
stone diffuser that doubles as decor. It's stunningly simple. It has this matte finish. It's ceramic. I have the black one, but I hear the white one's the best seller. And this company, Vertruvi, is really cool. They create essential oil products that help you live a more naturally and sophisticated life. <laughs> and honestly, it just really elevates my mood to have these oils diffusing in my room. There are blends that you can have in the morning that trigger waking up and being energized and then blends that you can put in in the evening that tell your body to wind down and relax. It's something intentional to do. If you haven't played around with having a diffuser or having essential oils, this is the time to start. And I really think that the aesthetic of this diffuser is lovely because it's something you see in your house. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, I really like that it's not plastic, that it's really beautiful. It's a great alternative to a candle and scents really make a space intentional and beautiful. And this is a non-toxic alternative that can be more sustainable. And this company's great. They make their essential oils 100% pure and they allow you to have these kind of 10 second spa moments. You know what I mean? They give you this simple way to carve out a quick moment of wellness for yourself in the middle of the day. And I just, I really love it. So if you want to check them out, highly recommend it. At Vertruvi.com, you'll get 20% off with the code LETITOUT. So Vertruvi, 20% off with the code LETITOUT. I love them so much and I really think you guys will too. I told you guys when we were setting this up that the show just had such an impact on me and made me feel less alone and not that I could relate to the exact thing, but I think you have heard this over and over again, but just the feelings of being a person. It was so impactful and I'm so grateful that both of you made this and I'm so excited to share it and, and have you on the podcast to talk about it. And I thought what was really interesting when I was sitting there watching the show is that the one person show format is almost similar to a podcast in a way of the long form interview of telling a story and getting the full arc and controlling that narrative, which I really loved. And so I think it's really fitting that, that we're talking about it here. And you both are so talented and have so many projects beyond just this project that I would love to talk to you about. Well, you'll have to come back eventually, but Maddie, let, let's start with you because you've been acting since you were very, very young. You've done tons of TV and theater and this, I think, is your first one-person show. Yes, I never, people? ever intended to do a one-person show. It was not a dream of mine. Really? It was not something I ever thought about doing. But when it came time to tell this particular story, it seemed like, it kind of seemed like the only way to do it. I, I definitely agree with what you were saying about podcast form, just allowing for nuance, allowing yeah. for, and I find that even when I do press for this show, that it's really hard when I have four minutes to explain a journey that has is still in progress and is only is four years old, you know, from the time I found out what yeah, happened. I was I was doing research for this and watching all the other press that you did. And I really felt for you on the Thank view you. and on all these other things. <laughs> I felt for me too. <laughs> yeah. Having seen the show and knowing that like it's a long story and to have to tell things in sound bites. That's why I think podcasting is a welcomed phenomenon right now of like being yeah. able to tell a story that's not in a soundbite. But I guess to, to start out, could you tell a bit about the background of the tough thing that happened to you and your family that the show is sure. centered on? Um, not quite four years ago, um, I got a call 
as I was driving to work, I am an actress, like you said, and I was on my way to do a guest spot. I call it a semi-terrible TV show that shall not be named right now. And I'm happily driving along. Um, my three kids were asleep at home in suburbia where I lived in a nice house with my husband of almost 20 years. Um, and my phone rang and it was my daughter screaming and saying that the police were in the house and it, none of it made sense to me. I mean, it was five in the morning. She was screaming. My boys were crying. They were, my boys were 11, they're twins. And my daughter was 16 at the time. And long story short, it became clear that my husband was being arrested. They were taking our hard drive and that they had discovered child pornography on his computer. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like it's harder to talk about the rest of yeah. what we're talking about unless to give people listening who haven't seen the show a, a bit of background. Yes. So when that happened to you, obviously some time passed, but then eventually you and Kristen decided to make art about this. Can you talk about, Kristen, when you guys started this, this process? Sure. Well, I have known Maddie for 10 years, and she's one of my very favorite people on the planet, and I love her like a sister. A lot of that evolution, of course, uh, occurred as we were working on the show together. We went from being knowing each other as an actress and a director. I had directed her in two feature films and, a, and some readings of some musicals, and we we also had a lot of mutual friends in common, and one of the things that I do is I in a bit of a, a like a story midwife I will help people get their stories out so Maddie knew that about me and knew me also as a director and I had my own history uh, I had a partner in the past who was a sex addict and I had a little bit of my own experience in this world so I had reached out to Maddie when everything occurred and I know her family and her kids and her husband and uh, I, to, to be really honest, uh, I was in yoga one day and I had a vision of Maddie doing a one-woman show. And I had this very clear moment of, oh, Maddie's going to write about this. And one day Maddie called me and- she did not then call me and say, I had a vision. She kept it to herself. And then I think not that long after that, I had been thinking about writing and really not sure how to do it why to do it, if I could do it. And something in me knew that I needed to reach out to Kristen. And I did. And I didn't ask anyone. I'm a person, I say it in the show, that I usually poll 48 people before making any decision. Yeah, I loved that. It was very clear to me that I should reach out to Kristen. I didn't know the end result, but I knew that I wanted to ask her if she would help and hold, it sound, as corny as it sounds, hold a space for me. And she, actually literally did. She said, come to my space. And we started. And I didn't know what we were starting. And she didn't know what we were starting. But it was not at all strange that she said, oh, yes. When I called her, she actually said, oh, hi, I've been waiting for the call. I mean, it really was as simple as that in a very complicated situation. And we both have very complicated, big, not even messy, complicated in a bad way. Just she's incredibly busy. And I was busy and broken, and we made time. You know, it's hard for people in the arts to even make a lunch date, but we both, and I really give her 
So I'm so grateful to her that she created space and time. And I'd say we started to meet weekly and just start working on this. It was a real sacred time where we would, once a week, Maddie would come over, we would have tea, and it was something in between writing, church, therapy, a 12-step meeting, like it was all those things together. Sharing secrets. Sharing secrets, talking about our lives, like deep girlfriend time. And a lot of it was Maddie sharing her evolution of what had occurred. She said very early on in the process, I've always been interested when someone like a Kathy Lee Gifford, someone that who you see publicly have a crisis, goes away. No, she may not know who Kathy is. <laughs> I remember. I remember know her. But like, you know, goes away from the public eye after a crisis. Something shameful happened because it, it didn't just, it wasn't just trauma. It's trauma plus public shaming. There's something really fascinating. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. No, and Maddie said early on, I'm really curious what happens in that time when someone goes away after public shame. And she just started talking to me about her process and what occurred. And we would put note cards on the ground and she'd share text messages that she had and some journal entries. And it started to form itself. Like a lot of art, it's like already there inside. And it just starts to emerge. And you're the doula, yeah. the midwife. That's exactly yeah. right. Oh, that's so. So, did it feel cathartic for you that that process? And how long of a period of time were, were those weekly meetings? I'm trying to remember how long. It definitely felt cathartic because I had already started to share some of these stories with. Um, I am in twelve step programs, and I'm in a group therapy with. Um, other partners of addicts, but it was one of the first times that I shared with a friend and someone in my art world, some secrets and some process. And like Kristen said, the fact that she, it really was a perfect marriage in a sense, because she knows and loves my family. And that felt really safe. This is a very tricky story to tell because I was, and still am interested in telling my story, but obviously it affected my children. And obviously it started with something that happened with my husband who I love and respect. And I wanted to tell my story and my process, but do it with integrity. And Kristen is a spiritual being as well as a really good director. I mean, I don't want to downplay the fact that I'm not a dummy. Like I also wanted it to be good and a piece of art, not just cathartic because I have a lot of amazing girlfriends that I could sit and cry with and a very good therapist. This was a combination of all those things. And Kristen never pushed me to have a finished product. It just really did kind of create itself. And what she did do gently, but firmly was at one point, I would have stayed, I'd still be in the apartment right now weekly. Like I was perfectly content to be going, oh, I'm creating something, la la la. And at one point, Kristen said, okay, we're ready to go to the next step, the next place physically. We need a rehearsal room to see what this is. And I was like, oh no, oh no, I'm not ready, which is a kind of a theme in my life. Hopefully I'm changing that a little bit, getting a little more I relate sure of too. myself. Yeah. <laughs> but I did I did trust her when I didn't trust myself. And I still someone asked me the other night, are you ever scared to go on to 
on stage and I say, absolutely. And I hear Kristen's voice. Um, I've said this to her. She said to me when we were doing the first reading and she said it when we were doing the second reading and the third reading. And after that we had a production. So it was not a long journey, but every time I'd say, I don't know. And she'd say, someone needs to hear this story. And that's how we started. We started with saying, I said to her, someone told me their story and exactly what she said about nobody talks about the messy time right after. A lot of people come back and say, I'm well now and let me sit here in my nice hair and makeup and discuss how I got through it versus showing you here I am on the floor alone, feeling like I will never be able to get through this. And the people that shared that with me helped me so much. And I knew that theater is a medium where you can show a kind of humanity and nuance that I haven't experienced in any other form. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's, to me, what makes it so relatable is that it's not a memoir that's looking back at something from 10 years ago. You're still in it. Like most of us are always in something. And I think I wrote this down to talk to you guys about because the story is so specific and you're so articulate and the the writing is so beautiful and the staging is so beautiful. And it just, it honestly, I just relate to, I think both of you so much. It just went right in for me specifically, yet it's your specific story, Maddie. Do you think, this is a question for both of you guys, that creative work I find the more specific it is, the more relatable it is. Is that something that you find with writing that it needs to be specific to connect? Absolutely. And they also teach us that in school. So when looking at theme, the more specific you can get about a character's theme, their journey, the more that it hits upon a universal truth that is in everyone. The reason that theater becomes like medicine for our soul is it's illuminating something that is true. And we have a communal experience with each other when we all feel a universal truth that taps on our soul. And what Maddie's show does that I think great art does is it opens us up to what it means to be human. Yeah. Right? And her story is an incredible, real, raw, messy story about forgiveness and resilience. And we have all gone through something that we felt like we couldn't get through. We've all been on our floor howling and making sounds that sound like an animal, right? And you hit that point in life where you don't know how to move forward. And Maddie shows us how she did, which shows us how we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why it's so relatable, I think. Because as humans, we're all not that different. Well, for me, it was, it has been really exciting and surprising how many people have said to me, oh, I relate so much to this story because when this happened and um, to this day, there's something so taboo about what happened and it felt so other. I, I had never met anyone. Now I have, partly because my story is so public, but I had never met anyone who was involved in something like this ever. Not because it hadn't happened actually, even to people who I knew, but because people keep this a secret. I mean, this is so shameful. And so I did try to be specific because it's my story. And Kristen absolutely encouraged that. I would actually just share something that happened in the day and she'd go, oh, that has to go in the play. So in some ways, I thought that would really, that it would be much more voyeuristic an experience for the audience. Like, oh, look at that 
lady going through that thing and it hasn't been at all the more specific has allowed people to say well the story couldn't be more different than mine but the feelings are so similar that feeling of loss and confusion and despair and i didn't realize how universal our experiences are even when our stories are so unique so that's been really exciting and that started when we tiptoed into showing this to an audience and now it's really i don't know we haven't quite done a hundred yet but we've done over 80 performances so i think i can honestly say that after every single performance someone has come up to me sometimes a friend who i've known for a very long time and told me a secret which is really an honor and um a surprise and I've always been a person who is very open with my own foibles. I mean, that's just kind of what I lead with. Partly it's a defense mechanism. Partly it's like, let me tell you the worst thing about me so, so you won't dislike me for that. We yeah. can laugh about it together. But this felt so different because this is not a popular decision that I made ultimately. Spoiler alert for your audience. I'm with my husband. I stayed with my husband. I am working on my marriage. I believe that... I don't even really deal with this that much in the play, but just between us and your gazillions of listeners, I have come to believe that my husband has a pornography addiction and that he was really sick and that he uh, crossed a line and that is morally and legally unconscionable and that he got help and is getting help and that there's space in my life and our family's life for forgiveness and compassion. And um, so that's, but that's a scary, uh, I like people to like me a lot. And that was not a popular decision, but it was what I felt and feel is right for me in my specific story. I don't in any way say this is what everyone should do. But just in terms of the audience, and you mentioned going on The View, it would have been a hell of a lot easier to go on The View saying, I kicked that bastard out, ladies. Give me a high five. Yeah. And instead, me, who fancies herself a feminist and who fancies herself someone who doesn't want to make waves, I never intended to be a spokesperson for anything other than let's have a fun Friday night with a cup of tea and a cup of whiskey. You know, like really just maybe PG-13, you know, not making waves, not the lead, not doing a one-person show, <laughs> being part of an ensemble. I'm all down with that. Being my kid's mom and suddenly here I am. So it's been really scary in a lot of ways. It's more complicated. It's a more nuanced story to be told in a four-minute segment. And I think what I kept thinking about when I saw the show was this quote by Brene Brown where she says that shame can't exist when it's shared, it dissipates. And a mentor of mine who's done the podcast before, Lacey Phillips, has this line where she says, what you don't own owns you. And I just mm, I felt like, yeah. Write and that I, down, Kristen. <laughs> I just felt like that's what this show really conveyed was you taking control of this narrative and telling a very complicated story where the audience is with you on, you know, I hate, I heard you guys say you hate the word journey too. And I, I do too, but it's, that's, that's what you kind of go through with you in this arc of the show. So this is a question for both of you. What advice do you have for someone who wants to process a difficult thing 
and their life and make art about it, specifically writing or, or making a show, something that feels so big. And I'm sure this felt so big and there's, I'm sure there are many directions you could have taken this. And I think being a team, it probably helped, but how did you organize this or what, what advice would you have for organizing and getting started? Well, Meryl Streep has that quote, take your broken heart and turn it into art. Mm. And I think one of the ways we alchemize makes me want to cry. Our, our feelings is we take our feelings, especially the ones we don't understand and the ones we can't handle, and we find a way to turn them into something. And right before this podcast, you and I were both talking about our love of journaling. And I was telling you, I journal every, I love to journal. I can't wait to get out of bed because I love to write my feelings down. And then writing them down starts to make sense to me mm -hmm. of like what I'm even feeling. Yeah. But I think that you can take whatever's going on inside of you and turn it into a song, into a painting, into a play, into a screenplay. And you don't need to be good at these things. Like having, giving yourself permission that I'm just going to throw some paint on a canvas and I don't care what it looks like. I think creating is a way that we let our experience teach us. We often don't know what we're going through in life. And there's sometimes a desire to control what it is you're creating, but creation requires surrender. It requires us to let go of control and allow something that is occurring to be. And the same thing happens in our life with crisis. Something happens in our life, we have no control over it. It is occurring and all we can do is surrender inside the enormity of it. And so when we can take that and start to channel those feelings and experiences and reflections into something, then we have something that we can start to metabolize the process through as well as share it. I think Maddie and being brave enough to share her story has let people know that they're not alone. Yeah. I mean, Kristen's great at helping people process through art. For me, the only advice I would say is your story is your story. Don't try to make it something else. And if you can be honest during the mess, I'm really good at going in to a 12-step room and um, raising my hand and saying, here's what I did last week and why I shouldn't have done it, you know, versus talking about it as it's happening. And that's what you can do with a journal. Even with a journal, I can analyze what I did versus saying what I'm feeling right this minute. And I think Kristen really encouraged me to keep and that's why I didn't just use my journal entries. I used some text messages that I had exchanges with people who I was really honest with and I was really hurting and not... When I was in this deep a crisis, I didn't have the energy to make it look nice or make it hilarious or make it neat. And that is actually the best, I think, the best parts of what we ended up keeping, you know, in the process was the mess, the the things that didn't feel good, the things that weren't, oh, here's the gift, you know, that I've discovered in the moment. You don't discover a gift in the moment usually. So I think, you know, <laughs> social media and texting and all of that can be 
really take us out of our lives, but there also can be some clues. If you look back at your messages, there can be some clues to how you were feeling. It can almost be a journal of its own kind. Yeah, you kind of leave a paper trail of our feelings. Yeah. Now that's pretty easy. To Especially access. if you have people that you text in the middle of the night, because yeah. that's when, you know, Kristen calls it, there's a scene in the show that she calls the dark night of the soul. And those are the times we don't usually reach out. We don't usually see on stage actually, but that to me is, is interesting. And I told Kristen, I was interested in showing that rather than talking about it. Yeah. You have this line in the show that I feel like is the a famous line of the show. It's the, the first line of the show where you say that you're not okay. And it's so perfect. And I related to you from the beginning with that line. But I think I heard you say in another podcast that that line was actually somewhere else to start. Was it? I can't even remember. I mean, I, that was an early, early on thing that one of the first things I wrote because I really was in my own, I'm hungry for recovery from pain and trauma. I read anything I could get my hands on. I went to a zillion meetings. I go to therapy. I go to group therapy. I go to couples therapy. The thing that helped me were people who were in process, but didn't say, I've got this and let me teach it to you. They said, I'm still a mess, but here's how I'm coping. So I can't remember the exact genesis of how the line came out or where it lived, but it's a very important thing to me. And I still say it. I don't say that I'm incapacitated right now. Clearly here I am. I'm able to do eight shows a week, but I don't want to say I've now figured it all out and I don't fall down. It's not a straight line for me, at least it's a few steps forward and a big step back or a step sideways or a trip over a pumpkin or whatever it is, you know, it's not linear. It's not linear. And I think that's also a female thing. I mean, I hate to exclude my, I love men and there's been a lot of great men who've seen the show and worked on the show, but there is something where I feel like it's supposed to have, like talk about grief, a beginning, middle and an end. And once for me, I can't say for anyone else. Once I allowed myself to say, it's not going to have a beginning, middle, or an end, it gave me a lot of freedom. And actually, it let me exhale because I didn't have to keep charting. Am I here? Am I there? And a lot of people who experience, not even the specifics of what I experienced, but a betrayal by a partner, say, want to know, should they stay or should they go? And something that's been really helpful for me, and even people who interview me say, what was the moment? There wasn't a moment. What if you just do today? What if, you know, what day is it? <laughs> I don't even know. Is it Friday? What if we just do Friday? I don't know when it's going it to air, but just what if we just let go of, why do you need to know? Do you need to know because you want other people to feel better? Because a lot of times it makes other people really uncomfortable if they say, how are you? And you say, I'm not so great. And it's really confusing when you say, I'm feeling really great and also really sad, or I'm in a lot of grief and I'm also going to go dancing. Like that is really upsetting, I have found, to other people. Um, but that's the truth. The truth is, in a day, you can feel a lot of different things. And I can feel really fine and then not really fine, depending on the minute. Totally. And that's so hard to explain to people. And I think that's why you know, I was going through something hard when I saw the show and I remember just thinking growth isn't linear and grief isn't linear. And I, 
I have this feeling now of like, as time passes and something happens, I feel like I should be more okay than I am. But then it's, and some days I am. And then other days I'm, like you said, three steps forward, one back, but you're still moving forward. And being a person is messy and hard and also beautiful and lovely. But that's what I think you guys did such a great job capturing in this. I also want to say, Kristen and I, I think really share this philosophy of, it's okay to struggle and it's okay to feel the pain, but we both are people who look for a solution, who look for hope, who look for light. She's way better at it. She's really fun. I tend to be a little more of a downer, <laughs> but um, but we definitely um, we definitely want to be honest, but also not wallow in our past, our pain. You know, to to look back but don't stare. One of the other famous lines from the play, I will say, the one that people quote to me all the time is, go where it's warm. Oh, so cozy. That also makes me want to cry. And I was with Maddie the day that she talks about when she's when she realized, oh, it's me. Yeah. And I think that's a great realization that Maddie's character makes in the play of, let me go in the direction where... There is light, and there is love, and there is warmth, and there is kindness. So we're all going to have things in our lives that sometimes take us down and feel like they might take us out. But today, this moment, what can I do to walk in the direction of the light, no matter how challenging things seem? And I feel like so many people who see her show go, yes, yes, I have felt and I am feeling right now all those things you're talking about. And yes, I want to go where it's warm and I want to walk in the direction where there it feels like there is hope. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing too. I, I found you can do so much therapy, you can do so much processing, but sometimes I feel best when I'm just not only coping or distracting myself, but just trying to feel better, trying to go where it's warm. And that's where you can kind of have the shifts. And I feel like that was that was conveyed really well. And another thing that you talk about that that helps you after this this event happens, which is kind of one through line through the show that I want people listening to hear about is you talk about your angel, this unexpected person who gave you the support that you needed. And in return, she asked you to pass it on, which is kind of the the impetus for for the show. I'd love for you to talk about that relationship a little bit. And then I'm curious if she's still in your life and if she's seen the show. I'll start with the last question, which is, yes, she's very much still in my life. And yes, she has seen the show. And I think I was as nervous as I've ever been doing the show the night that I knew that she was Mm -hmm. here and I was doing her voice and she was sitting there and I could hear her laugh. And she continues to be a very big part of my life. I'm excited to share that the other day she actually asked me for advice. I think I literally quoted her back to her, but she may not have known that. So it seemed like I was just giving her good advice, but I was just telling her something she had told me. And now I know her words by heart because they're part of my show. But she's a person who is, she really is an angel because she really did not have to, she didn't know me. She read the story in the New York Post, which was pretty brutal and not even accurate. And she was able to see past a salacious headline and recognize that there was a family. There must be 
a woman, there must be a family in pain right now. Let me see if I can find that person and help. I mean, what a miracle. So yes, she's still in my life. We're we're friends. She's always going to be like a big sister to me. Um, And I think, well, I I know because she's told me and, and she's not, am I allowed to curse on your show? There's no bullshit with her. And so if she says she's proud, then she really is. And she's very proud that I did this. And I have days that it's, that it's hard. And she's just really, she said, I wanted you to pass it on. I didn't know you were going to do this. This is like, you know, on a whole other level. And, and she's glad because that's all she's about. And she was really, really great and continues to be great for me about truly, this is a Brene Brown thing too, not, not caring what anyone thinks, caring what people who matter Mm -hmm. think, caring what my kids think, caring what I think, caring about what people who've been really good to me and who I trust think, but not caring about what nameless, faceless people online or honestly, people who I have such a thing about people who I don't even like wanting them to like me. And she's just really great about getting rid of those voices. So yes. And she's a, she loves the show. That's so cool. I think we should say for the people listening that she's a famous person and she didn't want for anything materially. So when you asked her how you could pay her back, she, that's why she said, pass it on. Yeah. And I think it makes sense when I was hearing you talk about it, it makes sense that she wanted to reach out to you, even though logically it doesn't, because I think, and I think you guys would agree as people. And every time I've done it in my life, when I help someone, when it's inconvenient for me or when I don't really want to, I always feel better. And I think we're wired for connection and unity and that. And so I'm sure as much as she gave you, I'm sure you gave so much back to her, giving her that purpose. She says that's true. And I try to believe it because I do believe it for my own life. And I do, you know, yes, I'm doing the show, but I also do have people in my life that I quietly, that I don't talk about, you know, that I have conversations with that call me and And it does help me. First of all, it helps to remind me when people call me and reach out that are in new, early, fresh crisis and pain that yes, I still feel that occasionally, but it's not the same. It's not to the degree at all. And now I can say what my angel said to me, which is that I have lived through deep pain passing. Yeah. I, I'm curious too. Well, I want to say too, for the people listening, as heavy as the topic is and what we were talking about is kind of heavy, the show's really funny. Yay. And it really, really is. Really <laughs> I mean, light. at least audiences are laughing. Yeah. We, we, and that was really a big, a big thing for Kristen and me because it's too much otherwise just in life and in the play. And it's a roller coaster ride in a mm-hmm. sense. And I hate roller coasters, but it is. You're laughing and then Crying. boom, you're hit yep. with a, and that is I mean, there's absurd things that happen. People said absurd things to me. Certain things that are really funny in the show may not have actually been that funny to me in the moment, but even then I could appreciate it. And that was fun when we would sit in your apartment and make each other laugh. And But we didn't know, I mean, audiences, some nights it really is like, suddenly it's like a comedy. Well, I'll also say that Maddie is a brilliant comedian. 
one of my favorite things about her as an actress is just how funny she is. And in other projects before, when I knew I needed a laugh line, I'd be like, well, give it to Maddie Corman because, I mean, she'll just slay it. So Maddie knows how to be funny. She's just a, a brilliantly funny woman. And she's like that about the truth, too, about real life. She knows how to look in your eyes and tell you, about the painful things going on and also tell you about the hilarious thing that happened from her walk from the subway. Yeah. So that's kind of who she is. So I think what the show is, is a real deep reflection on who she is, this ability to feel so deeply, this ability to be incredibly honest and an ability to look at life with a sense of humor about it the entire time. And I'd also like to say that some of the funniest lines come from things your kids have said. Oh my gosh. I still think about a line from the play that was so, I thought about on the subway today and I was just like, that part was really, really funny. I think what your son said about like your dad should be better with technology or something. Yeah. Well, the thing is that my kids are really, really funny. I like to think I'm funny. My kids do not think I'm funny, but I think they're funny and they make me laugh and I steal their lines and use them for my art, which I'm sure makes them delighted. <laughs> but I think when something bad happens or you have a big loss, it's kind of expected that you're not supposed to be funny anymore. And I actually had a friend the other or snarky or anything, which I try not to be, but I did have a friend a couple of months back say, I said, oh, this person's really driving me crazy, but I shouldn't. And she said, look, just because you've been through something and people have been good to you and you have a spirituality doesn't mean you're not allowed to once in a while find someone really annoying or, you know, find something really funny. And I think it's hard to explain, but yes, I also laugh at myself and my ridiculous behavior and the be- the absurdity. There is a certain gallows humor in the absurdity of what's happening. I mean, it's just life. It's just like, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and you have to laugh sometimes. And I think sometimes when people hear about my show and they people say it's funny, they go, well, God, is she making light of this very serious topic? And no, I do not take, my show is not about child pornography. And um, obviously that is not funny. And no one in my family, I will say, including my husband, thinks that it's a little thing or a not very, very serious, horrible thing. And In my show, I talk about lots of other things and what happens when a family falls on its face because he didn't just fall on his face. He brought us all down. And how did we get up? And sometimes when you're down on the ground, there's things that are funny. Just like when you're standing up, things are funny. Yeah. You do a really great job talking about your experience and being respectful of how you can only tell about your experience by giving context, by talking about other people's experience, but you, you're you really respectful with that. And something else I wrote down that I thought was interesting is you you talk about losing your mom at a young age in the show. And I, I wondered if you guys could talk about the layers of an experience and how this inciting incident with your husband brought up all these other layers of things that maybe you hadn't processed. Well, one of the things that we found dramaturgically is that the show at its heart is about is living through and overcoming intense grief and and that grief is something 
that doesn't just pass through. It's something that gets integrated into who you are. And so as we were structuring the story, one of the things that we found that as you're doing hero's journey, you always have the point where a character hits a rock bottom, something that they, where it feels like they, they cannot move on. And it's usually right before the end, right before the climax. And what we found was that part of this thing that ripped apart Maddie's life was tied to another time that her life got ripped apart when she was 16 years old and her beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful mother um, passed away. And the parallels of, of those two incidents in her life, uh, I feel like I should let you speak a little bit more about it. Well, yeah, I mean, trauma brings up past trauma, loss brings up past loss. And I had certainly done work on grieving my mother. You know, I'm in my 40s and my mother died when I was 16. But the utter loneliness and and longing for someone to put their arms around me during this time really reactivated my grief. And I will say that I think that my husband was the first person who I trusted in a way that I trusted my mother, where I felt so safe and so connected and that I had someone who really just had unconditional love and support for me. And to have that, what felt like yanked away was really weirdly familiar and really devastating. And, you know, maybe that ultimately helped in my allowing him to get well, because I did not ever want my kids to experience the kind of pain that I experienced. And I was so angry that he caused them pain because I spent my whole adult life as a mother trying to prevent any kind of pain, which is, of course, a fool's errand. I mean, it's impossible, but that was my goal. And once I had to let go of that goal, I didn't go down easy. You know, I really was so angry at him, but I also said to him, don't kill yourself and don't leave because where there's breath, there's hope. And I don't have the option to have a relationship with my mother um, except for a spiritual one. But there was still a glimmer of hope, even in those dark, scary days, that they could still have a relationship with their dad because they, each one of them did have a very strong relationship with their dad. And so that was very different. My mother, my mother died. I mean, it's a very tricky thing too, talking about addiction and cancer. Um, a lot of people compare them and say, you know, my mother died of cancer and she obviously didn't choose to have cancer. I wish I were more evolved and say that it's the same thing with, with uh, disease, with addiction. I'm not fully there yet, but I do have an understanding that my husband never ever wanted to hurt his family, ever. And he did, but my mother also caused a lot of pain, but she certainly didn't mean to. So I don't think they're the same thing, but there's a lot of similar feelings. And it's my family, my little family at the time, my brother, my father, 
and I did not have the option of working through pain, of rebuilding a relationship. We just had utter loss. And we are very close, the, the three of us, you know, still. And, and we did get through it. So there are similarities and differences, but there was no way to tell this story without really going into that early loss and trauma. I mean, it was a trauma and there were a lot of similar feelings. I was living in the suburbs. I was 16 years old. I never knew anyone else who had lost a parent. And it was another, it's not shameful, but there was a certain kind of shame. There was a certain kind of feeling of, oh, now I'm in the market or at a party or in the pizza parlor and people are looking at me funny because they don't know what to say. And so there was an oddly similar reaction when this happened. And it was a similar feeling of loneliness. And again, in my own life, when I, to this day, when I meet people who lost a mother specifically at an early age, there is a connection. We share something and we have a, a humor. A lot of people who lose a mom, you can't, you know, we call it the dead mother's club. You can't really say that to someone who didn't have that experience. So I knew that for me, sharing stories with other people who had at least a similar experience would be helpful. Yeah. That was a big watershed moment for me of realizing that grief and trauma can bring up past traumas. And I think you guys covered that so well. And then also the piece about this feeling so lonely. And I think there's a really, I think I've heard you talk about this before. There's a beautiful connection of it being a one person show shows the the isolation of that experience. Even though you were surrounded by people, you can feel very much alone. Well, I, I never actually asked Kristen this, but I don't think, have you ever directed a one person show before? I've directed one in the past. See, I didn't know that. Kristen was not the obvious go-to person for a uh, one person show in terms of her, what I knew of her career. I mean, she does big, amazing musicals and movies and television shows, but I just knew, and I'm not the obvious person to do a one person show, but, and when we did our very first reading, a mutual friend of ours, who's a brilliant writer and a very good friend said, you know, you could add like a Greek chorus. And we both knew absolutely not no offense, Gab. Um, but we knew that there was something about me being on the stage alone, representing how I felt at that time. I wasn't literally alone. I did have my angel. I did have my children and some incredible friends who flew in from across the country and from Florida to be there for me. I wasn't literally alone, but I felt more alone than I have ever felt. Yeah. I, this is this has been a delay. I want to we're going to take a a sharp left to get to the lighter quickfire questions and I want I want to get to those. Some of them are longer, some of them are shorter, but I warm you up the the easy one. Okay, what is the best thing that each of you have eaten in the last week? Oh my gosh. Um I had a really good poke bowl. That's fantastic. I've eaten so many delicious things. <laughs> last night I had some octopus mm. i got taken out to a fancy dinner did you yeah you know how it goes <laughs> nah, producer all right you know free food that's favorite place in new york ah oh my gosh these are fast right now my favorite place in new york is the dr2 theater it's it so feels cozy. like my cozy hug where i get to tell this story to incredibly receptive gorgeous 
amazing audiences. I heard you say in another interview that the space feels like a hug and it really does. I yeah, Daryl Roth, who owns the theater and is our incredible producer, said that. We did a reading here and she said, I think you need to do it here. This is a hug. This theater is a hug. And I'd say Central Park especially over yeah. in the thicket area. Oh, it's my favorite. I saw Shakespeare in the Park for the first time last night and it was so magical Yay! and wonderful. It's a, it's a coming of age experience. Yes. You have to be, it you have to do it so as a New Yorker. Wonderful. It was so wonderful. And it started raining just as I was leaving. It was oh, very romantic. kismet. Yeah. Favorite part of your life right now? Ah, um, my favorite part of my life right now is the tiny moments where I allow myself to say I'm kind of proud that I created something out of real pain and something that has some lightness and hope and truth. Seeing Maddie get all of the love that she's getting from the theatrical community and from just audiences uh, has been incredibly beautiful. And if I also say I'm remounting Rock of Ages for its 10-year anniversary, which I directed on Broadway, and doing that 10 years later feels like the most wonderful uh, reunion. It's like a high school reunion. It's so much fun. So cool. I'm really hoping after this run that Kristen puts me into the next run of Rock of Ages. You'd play, I know who, exactly who you'd play. You've had a very long audition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you do when you're, you, when you wake up and you're having a shitty day, you have a shitty moment, how do you pivot? Oh, Kristen's way better at this. I'm really good at waking up and not pivoting. Um, but what I should do is put my phone down and pick up some literature that helps, you know, some kind of book that has something helpful. I should meditate. I usually don't. I should get out of bed, physically change my space. But what do I usually do? I usually sit and worry for a good hour or two and then hopefully get out of it. I have so many. Yeah, she's <laughs> Prayer, meditation, journaling, listening to talks on my phone. I also have some Florence Scovel Shin med, um, affirmations on my phone. She's so cool. Yeah, she's old a school. old school metaphysician and she just takes me there. Cool. Greatest lesson on creativity. Create what your heart most wants to create and know that you would not be given the inspiration to create it if the universe wasn't also going to give you all the resources to help you. Oh my gosh, she's so good. Um, let go of fear. Mm. Hang on to, listen to that inner voice. One of the things Kristen says when we were working together was, okay, get quiet. What's next? And it's inside you. It was inside me. I didn't even know. I love that. All the instructions are inside. Yeah. Okay, advice for actors and advice for directors, whoever wants to go first. Oh, advice for actors. Just... Um, just, well, first of all, I miss actors. It's the first time I haven't been working with a bunch of actors. I love actors. What I say to my students, because I teach young actors, look around you, find your friends, find your community, find your tribe. You're not in competition with each other. Write for each other, with each other, create art together. You're in this together. There's nothing better than a company. Make your own company. I love that. We need you directors. We need your stories. We need what you need to talk about. And whatever's going on in your life is beautiful curriculum for the story you need to give to the world. Mm, so good. You talk about self-care and some of the things that you did for yourself, Maddie, during the time in the show, actually. But what are some self-care habits and routines you have now doing a show eight times a week? Yeah, I should be doing more, definitely. But um, I love a good bubble bath. 
that's a big one for me. It's I can stay in for a ridiculously long time. Body work, whatever feels good, whether it's a walk or yoga, or I love this class called SLT. That's a little bit really, really hard, but I really like it. 12-step meetings for me are self-care. Time with my kids that's not structured is self-care. Time by myself, even though I'm doing a one-person show, just downtime, getting quiet, meditating, good food. But I definitely need to work. It's not, it's not a muscle that stays with me. I have to keep exercising it and reminding myself. Self-care? Mm-hmm. Play. That's my favorite self-care tool. Yeah, so good. What are some, we always talk about morning and evening routines, like the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning, the last few things you do when you go to sleep. Oh gosh. Well, my routine is really a little bit wackadoo right now with doing this show. I mean, if I'm not doing a show, I'm really good at going to sleep early and I like that. But now doing this show, um, the last three things I do are eat, sometimes have a cup of tea, sometimes have a cup of vodka whatever suits me that night. And I try to say goodnight to my three kids who sometimes are going to bed later than I am, which I don't love. And in the morning, again, on a good day, I'll wake up and pray. I'll wake up and write. I'll wake up and open to maybe a daily reader. But let's be honest, some days I just wake up, drag myself out of bed, grab some coffee and make breakfast for my kids. I love a morning routine. That's my jam. Like I like to light a candle and journal with a cup of coffee and then do some meditation. I really do like to meditate after I have a cup of coffee. It's just true. In the evening, I like dreaming. Like really what I do at the end of a night is I like to watch... I'm into TV shows that are French. Like I like to write, like watch French television shows with subtitles. And like, I like to wear romantic pajamas. Uh, Oh yes, yes, please. And when I get in bed, I like to recap my day, like all the delicious things that happen in my day. And I like to dream. I love to give myself a little space at the end of my day, just to see where my imagination wants to go. So cool. I love that. We talk about body image on this show always because of my history with an eating disorder. Have you guys ever struggled with body image? I think, <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. As we look, both looks, raise our hands. Looks we both like raised I'm, our hands. Looks like I'm not alone. What, what helps? Well, you know, I mention it in the show in kind of a subtle way. I wonder if you picked up on it, but I say when my mom died, I worked really hard to look like I was over it, which led to all kinds of wonderful secret dysfunction. And one of my wonderful secret dysfunctions was certainly a long battle with anorexia. And I was really good at it. I was really, really good. I was a very high-functioning anorexic. And um, finally, I became kind of like an exercise bulimic, I would say. So I was then a failed anorexic because I would just starve all day and eat all night. And that was my first round of 12-step work and it really helped. Similarly to this where other people sharing their stories, I thought I was the only one that played these games and had these weird rules. And I had a real shame about it because I am, I do consider myself a feminist and I consider myself someone who shouldn't worry about that. I'm an actress, but I've never been cast. I've always been a character actress. It wasn't, it was not true that I had to be skinny for work. That was something I played with in my mind. For me, that was just a real, um, my world was out of control. It really came from that, and I can see that now. But it's definitely something 
I still battle. And when I, my husband was arrested, the trauma just hit me. I, my eating disorder didn't get kicked up, but I just lost a lot of weight because my body was just in such shock. And I was, I was stunned at how many people were giving me compliments and I did not look well. I was not healthy. So I still, it's, it's not something I think you ever fully recover from, but I am happy to say that it's something that I talk about now and I'm aware of and I, I try to keep an eye on myself. For me, I don't weigh myself. That's not something that I do because the scale has never given me a number that I'm good with. It's either too little or too much. And it's it just a way to judge yourself. Yeah, And then it goes, way. okay, because of that, I can do this. And that's a dangerous, slippery slope for me. So, but I love that you talk about it. I love, I think talking about it is yeah. really important. Well, I was thinking about it and what you were saying, what we were talking about before about making these sorts of things funny, because I, same with you, when you think about how you feel like you're the only one having these thoughts, but also some of these things that I do in these crazy negotiations I make with myself are so silly and funny. And to, that's why I think talking about it's so important. And I have a really interesting, interesting story with body image is I lost pounds. I used to be at, during college, I got up to pounds. And a lot of it was because I was raised in a really religious upbringing and happened to be a very sexual person and didn't realize until I got to college and started having sex that I loved having sex. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to have sex with all the people and felt so <laughs> shameful for it. Then my way of punishing myself was to put on a lot of weight really quickly and as a way of, of creating distance. So in my 20s, there was, I think I was about 25 where I was like, what am I doing to myself? And had to really look at my thoughts and look at my barriers that I was creating and how I was isolating myself because I was afraid of who I was. Yeah. Okay, Maddie has to go, but Kristen, can you keep talking for a minute or two after? So we'll just do I want to do an entire podcast on our eating disorders and I our would love it. recovery. Well, can you because, come back? Because I have like 20 more so, things. I mean, Kristen and I really are a good, a good combo and I I, I don't know what she sees in me. I still don't, but but she's so much fun. And I really tend to be not as much fun, but I'm really more fun around her. And I think there are different sides of the, you know, when you are with, I'll just end with this really big gem of a, not a good thing to end with. But when you are attracted to someone who's a sex addict, even if you don't know they are, there's something that even though I'm craving intimacy, there's something that I was allowing myself to be with a person that couldn't be fully intimate. And now I am with a person who allows themselves to be fully intimate and food and sex. And it's all really connected. Um, And it's really interesting and exciting to me to, to be a woman of a certain age and still be exploring that. And, and so I want to talk to you more another time, but now I got to go get ready to do this crazy show. Well, let's do a part two. The, the show is called Let It Out, so we always end, and we'll keep talking, but we always end with a deep breath, letting it out together. So can we do that, the three of us, real Absolutely quick, before right. you go? Great. Inhale, and let it out. Uh, <sighs> Thank you, Maddie. Thank you so much. I know you have to run. I'm sorry I kept No, I I mean, this was a, a kind of a warm-up. Now I just go Great. warm up my body and my being and my, and I got to get back in. This is a, I got to let it in. Not yeah. let it out because yeah. then I let it out later. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> but it was a pleasure and a delight and I'm excited to know you. 
Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Have a great show. Thank you so much. I love you, Maddie. And Maddie is the most fun human. I don't know what she's saying. Seriously. She's so fun. And you guys together just like amplify each other. <laughs> okay, let's thank you so much. Do you have a couple more minutes? Absolutely. Okay, sweet. Okay, greatest lesson on romantic relationships. Oh, always study romantic relationships to really want their happiness more than I want that I want their happiness above that I even want them. Mm. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Marianne Williamson said, do I want him to be happy or do I want him to call? Yeah. Oh, and really realizing that there is an amount of respect for their process that I have to have always and trust that the divine is leading them as well and creating a lot of space for both of us to have our process in exactly the right amount of time and really trusting that spirit is guiding the relationship no matter what appearances look like. And in that, may my job be to be brave enough to tell my truth and then to let go. And it's really interesting for me, one of my biggest lessons is how much I want to hide right? How, how Maddie was saying, I desire intimacy, but I'm so quick to hide and like look for a way to mask my truth uh, because I'm afraid of looking needy or too much or all the things that our egos come up with that want to criticize yeah. us and make us hide for. What are the ways that you hide, do you think? Oh, sometimes not wanting to say all my true feelings out loud. That's that's always what it is. Yeah, like holding it in instead holding, of letting it out. Exactly right. <laughs> Okay, this is kind of a, a good segue to this next thing. Greatest lesson on spirituality, what happens when we die? You said you grew up religious, so where are you with that now? Oh, well, I just love spirit. I believe in a non-physical energy that surrounds us, that is us, that is love on the planet, called the universe or source or whatever word works for you that that is my best friend and the, the source of who I am and always holding me and guiding me and providing for me and trusting that spirit or energy um, above all things in form. Mm, so beautiful. That was articulated so well. I love that. Thank you. Now that I have you for a second, can I ask you about Clueless a little bit? Of course. <laughs> Let's talk about well, Clueless. Well, that I had the most delightful experience watching the musical. I love the movie. Have seen it one million times. Can you talk about that project Absolutely. and what working on it was like? Well, it's so funny. Like when we're talking about the spiritual lessons of, of, of projects, I always know that when I get sent a project, the universe is talking to me. And so when I got Clueless, I was like, oh, it's about a girl who wants to help everybody else when yes. she really needs to focus on herself. <laughs> All right, universe, I hear you. But the most fun thing about that show was getting to work with Amy Heckerling, who is just a genius, who wrote and directed the original film, who also wrote the book for uh, our musical. And as I have mentioned, I did Rock of Ages, which was based in the 80s. Clueless is in the 90s. And I joke that I'm like working my way through the decades. Yeah. <laughs> But I love joy, and I love fun, and I adore playfulness. And that show for me is a chance to, to go back into nostalgia, to celebrate all those things from the 90s that were so fun. And also, I think Clueless is about being naive and not realizing 
sometimes how we do harm when we think we're doing good. And that for me was also an, an allegory of where we are in our country right now. Sometimes we're naive to what our actions are causing or affecting. And sometimes we think we are being an agent of good, not realizing the harm that sometimes happens from uh, our own ignorance. That's so smart and articulated so well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're you're so wonderful. I feel like I could just, I want to have you on again to talk fully about all of your projects yes. and all of your backstories. So we'll have to do this again. And I want to tell your listeners, I have a podcast. Yes, tell us about your podcast. It's called Let's Play the Create Podcast. And it's about uh, spirituality and oh, creativity and, and how all creative things are spiritual because you are tapping your soul within to bring something out of you. So by definition, it must be spiritual. It is who you are. Amazing. So I do it with my very best girlfriend, Natalie Roy, and she is a brilliant actress and yogi and meditation wow. teacher. So she and I might come on your podcast sometime yes. and just talk about Amazing. our Done. process. I would love that. We have a deep mission for anyone who wants to create anything to know how divinely supported they are. Cool. Well, I just found an, my new favorite podcast. So great. I'm going to listen to it after this so I can hang out with you more. <laughs> Absolutely. So before I ask the, the final question, we always have people recommend things. So recent favorites or all-time favorites, but TV shows, music, movies, places, people in quotes, whatever you want to recommend in Absolutely. those categories. Okay. Here are my top favorite things. Great. I love Rob Bell so much. His oh, podcast great. is... And you just did his podcast. That's right. I just did yeah. his podcast. Matt, Maddie did too. Yeah. Uh, so love Rob Bell, love Aubrey Marcus. Do you know Aubrey mm -hmm. Marcus' podcast? He's really masculine and has lots of like athletes and fighters yeah, and that kind, kind of, of thing. But, but man, is he so deep. When he talks, I feel like my soul brother's talking. Cool. He talks a lot about psychedelics as well. But mm -hmm. when he gets on a spirit trip, I'm like, take me to church. I love The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, one of my favorite books of all time, as is his other books, Turning Pro, Do the Work, Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. Like, I love Stephen Pressfield. I love uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. I love, well, my favorite movie of all time is Amelie. Oh, so good. <laughs> I went to Paris for the first time this year and was like walking around and... and Amelie territory. My best friend Natalie right now is in Paris as we speak. She fell in love with a Frenchman. Oh my god! And I'm going to Paris to spend a month there in July. Wow, magical! So if, if people listen to our podcast in July, we're going to be we'll be broadcasting from Paris for That's a month. So cool! Uh huh. That's so I cool. do love all things Paris. Yeah, I can see you. you're very Parisian. Oh, yeah, you have that energy. What about music or? Um, TV shows. Well, you know, one of the things I'm working on right now is I'm collaborating with NDRE on a musical. No so, way. Yeah. I love her. I love her too. And that's something that kept coming to me in my meditation was that I wanted to do a show out of her music and like kept coming. Like I'd be like, oh, keeps coming, keeps coming. And I was having a meeting over at Manhattan Theater Club and the artistic director that I was meeting with said, he said, what's your dream project? I said, you know, I really want to do a musical with uh, something with NDRE. And he was like, well, have you called her? And I, and I left that meeting and I was like, maybe I should call her. <laughs> Can I call my agent and see if that's a, something that could happen? And like within a few weeks, I was like having dinner with NDRE. Wow. And I was like, here's my vision. And she's like, and she basically said to me what I said to Maddie. She's like, I've been waiting for your call. Wow. Yeah. So that was- I have that, chills. Yeah, right? 
Yeah, that's so cool. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about that project and hopefully yes. with India. And so. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, another spiritual teacher who I love, if people don't know him, is Michael Beckwith. Oh, yeah, he's right? great. Yeah, and... I was I had his niece on the podcast yesterday. That's so crazy. Yeah. So he has an album he made that like you can download, but it's basically his sermons set to beats. Oh yeah, I think I he has my same publisher and I think I've like heard that on before. It's, it's very like, cool. That's like one of my favorite things to put yeah. on like just like putting on my makeup in the morning. Yeah. Oh, makes me feel like all right. Here we go, life. <laughs> totally. I mean, I listen to a lot of Abraham Hicks oh, stuff. Yes. But I feel like it doesn't have that. I think I could use the beat in the like happiness. <laughs> you know, it was so funny when you asked me like, what do I do in the morning? The very first thing I do in the morning is I put on Abraham Hicks Same. as I am like, like as I like feed my cat and like a, I'll make a little cup of coffee right before I sit down to journal. I feel like we're weirdly kindred spirits and even yeah. have like similar hair. And yeah, like, I, know, I just I, want to hang out with you all the time. Uh, well, <laughs> I, we're going to be best great, friends. Great. Get ready. Amazing. Amazing. Uh -huh. I'm so in. Okay. Well, so like I said, this podcast is called Let It Out. And what the concept is, is that we let out what we're calling soft stories. So we define soft stories as the stories that we tell ourselves and others that reveal our most vulnerable, tender selves. And I bring that up because Accidentally Brave is so telling a soft story, which I just thought was so beautiful. And I feel like your work is constantly telling soft stories in these really fun, beautiful, creative, smart ways where it's from what I'm hearing now and talking to you and just the little I know about you and your work, it's kind of a Trojan horse for a spiritual lesson, but at its core, it's just a really great work. And I think that's what makes it so wonderful. And anyway, I just wanted to say that. And thank you so much for making Accidentally Brave and doing this podcast and Clueless and everything you've done. And I'm so happy that, that you are here. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy you're here. And I just love getting to know you. And I'm excited about our friendship. I know. Me it's like too. A, a romance that's beginning. I know. This is a, this is the first friend date recorded. This mm -hmm. is so lovely. We'll have it forever. I know. So is there anything else that you wanted to let out? Did I squeeze you for all your juice? <laughs> this was a great squeezing. Great. And we'll, we'll leave everything for the next time great. we squeeze. Great. Perfect. We, there's more squeezing. <laughs> thank you. Kristen and Maddie are so cool, right? Go see Accidentally Brave while it's playing in New York and follow them and listen to Kristen's podcast and just, I, I love them both so much. I just think they're the best. Okay, my likes and learns for the week. I promised at the beginning I would tell you some things that I listen to lately that make me feel good. So I'm gonna just do it in the category of podcasts right now and I listen to music too and yeah obviously it's not like a um, groundbreaking thing but I do listen to music in case you were wondering okay so podcasts that I've been listening to that just make me feel good fresh air I listen to Terry Gross all the time the glowing up podcast is so good eating alone in my car by Melissa Broder so sad today I love her so much. She's going to do the podcast eventually. My favorite author, Danny Shapiro, has this podcast called Family Secrets, which I really like. I love Dax Shepard, of course. I just listened to his episode with Samin Nasrat, who did the Netflix documentary Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is also a delight. And I love Off Camera. Do you guys listen to that with Sam Jones? It's really wonderful. I really enjoy it. 
okay, something I learned is kind of in the same vein of just when you're feeling sad, sometimes I want to journal and go to therapy and process it and do all of those things. And you have to do those things. Eventually you have to let it out. But sometimes when you're feeling sad, it's good to try to make yourself feel happy. We kind of talk about this in this episode, not by coping all the time, but by doing things that kind of switch your mood and you can, it's kind of like that Kurt Vonnegut quote, we are what we pretend to be. So be careful what you pretend to be. And it's not that I'm pretending to be happy. I'm just doing things that elevate me, you know, instead of bring me down. So this weekend I went to two movies. I just came from seeing Longshot, the Seth Rogen movie with previous podcast guest, actually Robin and I just saw it. It's a delight. I laughed so hard and smiled for like two hours during it. It was lovely. And definitely go see Booksmart. I saw that the other night with my friend Carolina and it is so funny and oh, it's just a delight. You have to see it. It's so, so, so good. Okay. Those are things that make me happy. Going to the movies and that's my liking and learning for this week. I'm going to leave you with that. Also, in the listener Facebook group, we have... This little poll going on what we should call each other in this group. You know how Pete Holmes calls the listeners of You Made It Weird weirdos and, you know, Girls Night In. They call their community homebodies. So I was like, what should we call each other? Should we be Let It Outlings or, you know, I didn't know. And so you guys voted in here and these are the options so far. So in case you're not in the listener Facebook group, you should join if you'd like, or you can, you know, hear them here and then you can comment on Instagram and let me know your favorite. So in the lead number one with the most votes right now is the exhalers, which totally makes sense. I like that. In second place, we have let it outings, which I think outlings is better to be honest. That's the one I propose, but no one voted for that one actually. Or no, one person voted for that, which I think was me. <laughs> so let it outlings. Nobody really likes that, I guess. That's that's cool. Let it outings. Outings like outings like a thing you're going to go do. People like that one. That one's in second place. And then in third place, I think this one's hilarious. Dale Bowders, like my last name, Dale Bowders. That's that's kind of cool. Feels a little narcissistic to me to be to have it be called that, but you know, I like that it's in third place. Makes me feel very seen and loved. And the last one delights i love that one so much i definitely say delight a delightful amount i think and then the last one is audis i don't know how i feel about that one and that one has the least amount of votes so anyway cast your vote in the listener facebook group let me know what you think in the meantime i'll just call you friends because that's what you are you're my friends that i haven't met yet because if you're listening to the very end of this podcast You must be a a strange duck like myself, and I'm really grateful, and I definitely think that we'll be friends. Every time I've met a listener of this podcast, we've become friends, and I just need to get to know them. This episode is brought to you in part by Vertruvi. Vertruvi is this really cool company that makes essential oil products that help you live more naturally and sophisticated. I really like that slogan because they really do. They elevate the way that you use essential oils. They make these really high quality, pure 
oils that I've been using and they make the most beautiful diffusers I've ever seen in my life. I think honestly most diffusers are pretty ugly, but these ones are my favorite. And I love the founder, Sarah. She has the company, she's the co-founder with her brother. It's a family company. If you want to try them out, use the code Let It Out to get 20% off your first order at Vertruvi. That's V-I-T-R-U-V-I. It's a great company. I love them so much. I think that you're going to love them too and check them out. Let them know we sent you. Let it out for 20% off your first order. Thank you so much for listening. If you are still listening right now, the emoji for this episode is the, it's the two masks. Like the, I think it comes up when you type in Broadway or theater. You guys know what I mean. It's like a you know, it's like a theater mask. So if you're still listening right now, comment that on my Instagram, on Maddie's Instagram, on Kristen's Instagram. Follow the Accidentally Brave Instagram. Go see the show. And I hope that I'll see you at Emerge in our Let It Out Lounge. It's going to be so cool. And I'm so excited to share all those interviews that I'm doing. I'm going to be doing like six interviews in two days. It's going to be great. I will talk to you guys next week with a brand new episode with a dating expert coach and someone who I love so much. It's going to be a really great episode. I'll talk to you then. Love you. Bye.